Welcome to another sermon from New Bethel Baptist Church. I hope that this sermon will help you to better know who God is, challenge you to grow in your faith, and compel you to go and proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. Uh, for those of you that are staying in here, we are finishing up our mission, uh, ser- mission statement series. We are looking at uh, know, grow, and go. Today we're talking about go. And if you are a good Southern Baptist... You can probably guess which Bible verse, which Bible passage we're going to today. Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. Before we get into that, I want to talk a little bit and reemphasize a little bit of what our mission statement is and what we've talked about in the previous weeks, because kind of like anything in Scripture, the context is very important. Today's sermon only really makes full and complete sense within the context of the previous one. So the first thing we talked about is knowing God. And if you paid attention, um, each of the backgrounds dealt with a dandelion, okay, this week. So that one is the little yellow dandelion that all of our children like to think are flowers, and they bring to us, and I thought was a flower uh, when I was a child. But that's the relationship with God. That is when you know God, you have been saved, you have a relationship with him. So there is something that a, a, an initial seed planted that has produced fruit within your life, has produced this initial fruit within your life. So you know God, and you know your purpose once you know God, if you have a relationship with him, you can then know what God's purpose is for you. What does he want you to do in your life specifically? But then we also talked about when you know that, you also need to know one another. You need to know the church, be a part of the body of Christ. And that is where we are supposed to operate as Christians. When you know God and you know your purpose and you know the church, you can then grow in your faith. We are called as believers, just like that seed that's planted doesn't just stay a little small flower. It grows into something bigger. And so our faith that has been planted should grow and produce a greater knowledge of God, trust in God. We should grow in holiness and Christ-likeness. But then we know our purpose. Well, we talked about last week or the week before, we should grow in our ability to fulfill that purpose. We talked about if a missionary is going to a foreign land and they know that God is calling them to do that, they should prepare, learn the culture, learn the language. We also grow in community. As a body of believers, we should grow with one another, challenge each other to grow, and that is how God works in those things. So we know God, we grow in our faith, and today we are looking at how we should go. So Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Let's go to the Lord in prayer today. Father, we thank you for this day that you've given us, this time that we can come together, this time where we can look at your word and this commandment, this commission you've given us to go and make disciples. And God, I pray that as we look at your word, that you would convict each and every one of us. You would convict us, uh, whether we even have a relationship with you for some, you would convict us of how we need to go and fulfill what you've called us to do. And God, I pray that it would be clear and apparent to each and every one of us what your will is for our, our lives and what your will for our church is today. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So, Just like know, grow, and go, know God, grow in faith. The main point of this one, the main extension is to go make disciples. And this is the great commission. Go, therefore, and make disciples because all authority has been given to Jesus. Go and make disciples. And and to answer that, to look at what it means to be obedient to this, first we have to ask ourselves, 
What is a disciple? What are we supposed to be making? And the most general definition of a disciple is a person who follows or is a student of another person. So there are people that were disciples of John the Baptist in the Bible. We see disciples of Jesus. These are people who followed and were a student of these people. Now, we traditionally think of, you know, the 12 disciples, those who followed and were students of Jesus. And we are called, they were called, and we are called to go and make disciples. And so a disciple is a person who is following Jesus. But more specifically, what does it mean to follow Jesus? They have believed in the gospel. That means they have been convicted of sin. They are acknowledging their sinfulness before God their need for salvation. And so they have believed and trusted in Jesus and repented of that sin and believed in Jesus for salvation, trusted him for that salvation, making him their Lord and Savior, following in obedience through baptism, and are seeking to follow him with their lives. So this is a person that knows God. They have a relationship with him. They've been saved. They are growing in their faith. They're learning about what God, what God has taught, what, what Jesus has taught, and what, they, what it means to follow God, and actively doing that on a daily basis. That is what a disciple is. It's not just a person that knows about God or, or may have read the Bible, may have attended church. It's a person that has a relationship with God and is actively engaged in it. That's a disciple. And so we are called to go and make disciples. So how do we do this? How do you make a disciple? Because this is the, the key that we see here. This is something that we are all called to do. What, is it, what does it mean? When Jesus says, go make disciples, what has to be present? Well, the first thing that has to be present for someone to be a disciple is that the gospel must be preached. The gospel is the good news of what Jesus has done for us. And that good news, that message of you are a sinner, but the good news is what Jesus has done for you, the way that you can be forgiven from that sin, the way that you can be saved and made right with God, that must be preached. Romans 10, 17 says this, faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. And so if we want someone to know God, we have to proclaim to them this message of the gospel, this message of you are a sinner condemned because of your sin, but God loved you and Jesus has made a way for you to be forgiven and have life through him. And when this gospel is preached, the spirit convicts. And so we see on the day of Pentecost when, when Peter and, and the other disciples are filled with the Spirit, Peter goes and begins to preach to all of those who are in Jerusalem. And there's people from all, the, all over the world, and they're hearing in their own language what Peter is preaching to them. And he's preaching about Jesus, the one they have just crucified, has been resurrected, and is the Messiah, the one who has come to re, re, reunite people to God. So here's what happens when he preaches the gospel to them. Acts 2.37. Now when they heard this... They were cut to the heart, and they said to, and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, "Brothers, what shall we do?" So we see a few things here. The gospel has been preached. Jesus has been, has been declared as the, the Savior and the Lord that they should believe in that, that what they have done is crucified the Messiah. And so when it says they were cut to the heart, that shows conviction. The Holy Spirit is convicting them of the truth of what Peter is saying. They have believed the message that Peter is proclaiming. They say, brothers, what shall we do? You don't ask what you do if you don't believe it. They believe what has happened. 
They believe that Jesus, that what Peter has said to them is true. So the Spirit convicts when the gospel is preached. That's the beautiful thing about following God and making disciples, that we don't have to be eloquent speakers. We don't have to be overly knowledgeable. We should seek those things. We should seek to be better in our communication. We should seek to be better in our knowledge of God. But when Paul talks about going to to the people, to, to the Gentiles, he says, I didn't come to you in eloquent speech or convincing arguments. I came to you and humility in this power of the Spirit working among you. So we see the people respond. There's a response that happens to the gospel. Acts 2, 38 through 41. And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and they were added to that day about 3,000 souls. And so they hear the gospel. They're convicted of their sin. They believe in who Jesus is. They, they, they respond to this because they ask, what, what should we do then? Peter tells them they do it, and 3,000 souls are added that day. And so what is the response we call people to? Romans 10, 9 through, 10, 9 through 10 says this. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. So when we preach the gospel, we help show people, reveal to them the sin in their life so that they will be convicted and say, what shall I do? Believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the, from the dead. Or confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, and you will be saved. So the people should respond to the gospel. But as they respond, they devote themselves to growth. Acts 2.42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. This is directly following. The fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. That's what we talked about last week with grow. And so what I want you to see here is this idea of no grow and go is not this random rhyming scheme that I made up. When people know God, they have a relationship with him. They have been saved because the gospel has been preached to them. They then should grow in their faith. That's what happens in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, after they have repented and believed. And as they grow in their faith, then we see that the fullness of a disciple is believing and learning Okay, what he called them to do. So the Great Commission, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. What's the last thing he's commanding them to do? Go make disciples. To be a disciple, part of that growth process is learning and understanding that every person is called to be about disciple-making. This is not something that is only for those that have a gift of evangelism. This is not something that is only for those who are called to be pastors or preachers. It's not only for those who are outgoing or extroverted. All people have a responsibility to be involved in going and making disciples. And so what does this look like for you? If you are a believer and if you know him, you have a call to make disciples. Now, we're going to look at what that looks like in your life specifically. This means you should be 
proclaiming the gospel. You should be able to know what the gospel is, to articulate that, and to tell someone else about it. Right? I think it's in First or Second Peter where he says, you should have a, always be ready to give a reason, a defense for the hope you have. That's what it means. That's sharing the gospel. Why, why are you a Christian? Your answer to that question should contain the gospel. Because I was a sinner that was in need of salvation, and Jesus died for me. I became convinced of that, believed in him for my salvation, and now I follow him with my life. That is the gospel. You have to proclaim the gospel as a Christian. Now, that doesn't mean you're going to be preaching. That doesn't mean you're going to be an evangelist standing in front of crowds of hundreds of people. But in your life, somewhere, some way, you should be proclaiming the gospel in whatever way God has given you to do. So Romans 10, 14 says this. How then will they call on him in whom they they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And this idea of preaching doesn't mean what I'm doing without telling them of what's happening. Because we are called and compelled to take part in the gospel ministry of reconciliation. So what, what do I mean by that? John 3.17, I skipped one for, for you right there. John 3.17 says this, For God did not send his Son in the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. So Jesus' mission, why Jesus came, was not to condemn and to judge, though there is wrath and judgment for sin, but it was to make a way of salvation, to make a way that people who are condemned because of their sin, if they believe, will not perish, but have eternal life. We go back to John 3.16. This is the mission. This is the reason Jesus came. And this mission is very clearly given to the church. The church is called what? The body of Christ. And so the body of Christ is to carry out the work of Christ. So 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 21, this is my, one of my favorite passages. Listen, we're going to have a lot of Scripture. Scripture is important. It's God's Word, and it shows us what we should do. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. This is that new life. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ, this mission, reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, this is explaining what it is, in Christ... God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses or their sins against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God." Jesus came so that people who are far away and are at odds with God might be reconciled, made right. Think about any time you ever had a fight with somebody. Jesus came so that our animosity with God, we are in our sin, we are enemies of God. He came so that we may no longer be enemies, but we may be called children of God through the work of, of him on the cross. And so this message, this thing that God was doing through Jesus has now been given to us so that we are his ambassadors. As we go into the world, we are telling and proclaiming God has made a way that your sins may not be counted against you through the work of Jesus Christ. And the same thing he says, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. 
That is the call of the Christian. The go and make disciples, you have to call them to believe. So how do you do that? So there are some steps that I want to to examine of proclamation. The first one, I think, is what a lot of times for the last, really through my life, I know this is what I experienced in church, of what it meant to evangelize or to go make disciples. And that was what I'm going to consider a lesser good. I'm not saying it's bad, but it's not the standard. Part of the way we can go make disciples is to invite people to church. Now, it's a lesser good. What I mean by that is inviting someone to church is providing another step in the process between them hearing the gospel. Because if you're a believer and you know the gospel and you can talk to somebody, you can share the gospel, that's direct access, leading them to the message of the gospel. But here's the deal. There are people who profess to be Christians that are in your life. I know for a fact there are many people that have an affiliation, even with this church specifically, they don't go, they don't come. And for those people, one of the best ways to help challenge and disciple, to be a part of disciple-making, is to invite them back into church. To say, won't you come with me this Sunday? Won't you come to church with me? Because you, you say you believe you should be a part of the body. Right? We know that we should know one another. If you say you know God, we know one another. We grow in community together. And so, that's it. so people who profess to be Christians, people who were previously church, so maybe you have a new neighbor, they move and say, yeah, I used to go to church, but I haven't really gone in a while. Inviting them to church is a good option. Those who may say they have a knowledge of God, yeah, I kind of know about God, that's even a good option for them. Or those who are curious, those who through your conversations want to learn more. But the standard, the best thing we should do is to share the gospel ourselves. And the the simplest way to do that is to be able to tell your story about why you have believed in Jesus. Why are you a Christian? Why do you believe in Jesus? If you can say that and explain it, you can share the gospel with someone else. Because many of you, the stories and the, the sin that God convicted you of, if you share that where appropriate and in the right ways, might help them to see and identify the sin in their lives. This is exactly what the Apostle Paul does when he's standing before Agrippa. He tells his story of conversion and basically says that Agrippa should convert as well. He said, would you in such a short time convince me to be a Christian as well? And Paul says, I wish all people were like I am. That is our goal. We go through our life and we're able to tell our story. We do this also through familiarizing ourselves with the biblical passages, knowing how to look to Scripture and explain what the Bible says about things. That's very important that when you share the gospel that you don't speak on your authority. When you talk to someone about the sin in their life, it's not because you think it's sinful. It's because God has declared those things to be sinful. We are not the judges of what happens, but we point to God's truth. Find avenues of connection. What things do you have in common with people? What ways can you relate to them, help understand them, and use those ways to begin to tell them about the good news of what Jesus has done? And here's the beautiful part that I think very few Christians have had an, the, the honor of doing. You can lead people to Christ. You can lead people to Christ. Not just telling them about what Christ has done. Not just telling them and, and, and seeing the Spirit convict and seeing them want to respond. Because many people in the same way would have a, a similar experience where they're being faithful. They're sharing the gospel. They're calling them to repentance. They tell the good news of Jesus. And just like the people in Acts, they say, well, what am I supposed to do about this? And the answer, let me go find a pastor. 
That was what happened to me in my life. The, after I was really taking my faith seriously, the, the, it had been a whole year since I was called to minister. Back, back at church camp, and I can tell the person beside me is really convicted. I can tell that the sermon was really evangelistic, presented the gospel clearly. I can see something's happening in this person's life. I say, do you, do you know God? Have you been saved? And they say, no. I knew the gospel. I knew what needed to happen, but what I did was, let's go talk to our youth pastor. And that's not the wrong thing to do. It's not a, a, a sinful thing to do, but I want you to understand and realize the beauty that you can lead them and tell them the truth of, believe in your heart, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. You can do that. And then what you can do, let's go talk to the let's, let's talk about these next steps about how you get involved and how you can follow Christ. But here's the part that some have, have termed the great omission when we talk about the great commission. That's the part that I'm, I'm sure that you've heard many times in your life if you've been in church throughout your life. Go preach the gospel. Go talk to people about what God has done. But we see the next part. After the baptiz- baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. Part of making disciples, part of what we are all called to do, is teaching them to obey everything that he commanded them. This is the task of all disciples. Just like all disciples are called to go and speak about what God has done for us, we're all also called to invest in others and grow them in their faith. We lead people to know Christ. We lead people to grow in their faith so that we can call them to go and make disciples. So what does this look like? 2 Timothy 2, verse 2. It's a really easy one. 2 Timothy 2, 2. It's easy to remember, a lot of T's there. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So leave that up there for just a minute. So Paul is writing this letter to Timothy. What you, Timothy, have heard from me, Paul, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. There are four generations of believers through discipleship. Paul disciples Timothy who Timothy is then supposed to entrust these things to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. It, and it continues to go and go where we teach others to follow Christ. Now, this is a little bit more specific to Paul being an apostle, Timothy having a calling into ministry, but we are all called to play a role in discipling others. Just as some are evangelists, all should evangelize, but all should evangelize. Some are teachers, but all should teach. In whatever capacity you're in, at whatever maturity level you may find yourself, you should be seeking to share and invest in those, invest those things into someone else. And so for some of you here, there, this is no surprise to you that, that you have things within you that God has shown you that you can share and entrust with faithful people. You have followed Christ in your life for some time. You've grown in your faith. God has discipled you through other faithful people. And you should have almost a fire within you that you know and are convicted that you need to share and make disciples in the church, helping the people who know God grow in their faith. You have knowledge to share and you know it. And so that's the first part of it. There are people here that they feel confident and they may be hopefully convicted that that is what they are called to do. But there's others of you in here that maybe this sounds difficult and raises insecurity within you. Maybe you're a new believer, or maybe you've been a believer for a long time, but you've not grown and developed to a place where you feel confident investing in others. 
You may even be willing but unsure about exactly how to put that into practice in your life. And you, maybe you don't feel specifically called to teaching role, so you don't know how you're supposed to do that if you're not a teacher. Like, that sounds well and good if you're called to be a Sunday school teacher, but I don't really feel called to that, so I don't know how to invest in others. You will always be able to find someone that you can invest in as a believer. Someone that needs to know something that you have been taught and learned through Christ. And maybe it's even just reminding them of things they already know. I want to give you an example uh, of something that this looks like. There was several weeks ago, uh, Jada was telling me a story of something that happened in the nursery with Barrett, and it was a good thing. <laughs> it's not always, but this one was a good one. Um, so Barrett's in there, and, and so one of, the, one of the babies is in there, and, and Barrett says, I'm going to sing him a song. And he just sings, Jesus loves me to the baby. Here's the deal. Barrett, Barrett's not a believer. He's not old enough to understand his sin and be saved, but he knew Jesus loves me, and the baby didn't know that. And so he sings it to him. And so this is what that looks like in your life. It doesn't matter how new of a believer you are. It doesn't matter how much you know about God. You know what you know. And sometimes there's people that need to hear it. And you're called to share it and invest in other people. There's always someone that's not going to know everything you know. And you're called to share it. And you're also called to be willing to listen to others who try to invest in you. But making disciples takes having an awareness of yourself and humility. You must be aware of yourself. You've got to know your limitations because there's going to be times where you can't disciple someone past a certain point because you're not there yourself. You can't take someone somewhere you've never gone. Have you ever tried to lead someone uh, like, oh, well, let me take you there, and you don't really know where you're going? You're going to both get lost, and that's not good. Uh, you've got to realize your limits. Be, be, know when to say, I don't know the answer but let's find out together. You got to know your limits as you make disciples and you have to m utilize your giftings. What has God called you to do? And this is the next thing we see. We, we go make disciples, but we also go and live into your purpose. So you know your purpose, you grow in your ability, but you go and live into your purpose. Romans 12, four through eight says this, for as in one body, we have many members and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, if, one, if the one who teaches and is teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who acts, who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. So you see through that a lot of different spiritual giftings and callings and, and purposes that God gives to people. And we can spend a lot of time talking about those, but I don't want to do that right now. But God gives you a purpose. That's the no portion. You've got to figure out what has God called you to do. It's oftentimes where your, your giftings and your passions intersect, right? We talked about that. If you don't like kids but you like to teach, maybe don't teach the kids. If you like kids and you like to teach, it makes sense, so, okay, right? So what has God called you to do? You've got to figure that out. What is your purpose? Your purpose is to make disciples in whatever place God calls you. So in whatever your purpose is, part of that is making disciples. And we are all different and we all fit together and accomplish different things. I'm going to show you how this works. We are the body of Christ with different examples. And it's going to make even more sense when we read the next scripture, okay? So I brought some, some illustrations with me. Um, and I hope this illustration doesn't stink, okay? I hope you like it. 
You'll, you'll understand a little bit more when I say that. So, we all wear shoes, and we all have different kinds of shoes. And not every kind of shoe that's even being worn today is going to be listed here. But, okay, first, I'm wearing some dress shoes, right? Because I'm dressed up. You wear dress shoes. You don't wear something else. It, it makes sense. There's a purpose for them. But then I also brought with me some, some work boots, okay? And these would be, these are waterproof. They've got a steel toe. So if you're doing certain things, you're going to wear these. You don't want to wear your dress shoes. You're going to get them destroyed. They're not going to look good. The next time you get dressed up, what happened to your shoes, okay? Um, so you got work boots. I've got some other shoes in here. These are ones that I don't know of anyone else that maybe has this particular kind of shoe. These are called lifting shoes. They are very, like, they don't bend. They're meant to be very stable so that if you're lifting weight, you're not going to fall apart. You're gonna, it's going to hold you fast. It's got kind of a heel to it. It's not because I want to be taller. It's about leverages, okay? Um, so you got some lifting shoes. Th- those are for lifting. So if you're lifting, you want to wear those. You heard how they, they kind of thud. Okay, but then we also have something like this. We've got some, some running shoes. So if you're running, you don't want to wear your work boots. You don't want to wear your dress shoes. You don't want to wear uh, some lifting shoes. You want some shoes that are soft. They've got cushion. They're going to help you to do those things. So you've got some, some running shoes, okay? One of my favorite things, I don't get to wear them enough, but golf shoes. Because when you go to swing, you don't want to fall down. That's happened to me before. It's embarrassing, okay? So we've got some golf shoes. Um, and then you've got just kind of some of your everyday general, you know, they're good for, they're stable, but they're not too stable. They're soft, but they're not too soft. General workout shoes, but these are. And then we have maybe my favorites, okay? My favorite pair of shoes. You got some Crocs, okay? Now these can do just about anything. These are what I mow the yard in. Now you say, that, that doesn't sound very safe. They've got, smor- they've got sport mode, okay? So you've got all of the, the, these different kinds of shoes that play different kinds of roles. They do different kinds of things. And in the body of Christ, we have different roles and different giftings. We have different purposes, but we're called to do them. We're called to live them out. All of them are needed. These are all my shoes, and you might say, that's a lot of shoes, but they play a different purpose. Romans 10, 15 says this. And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. What I want you to understand here, this is different than today. We, we have a very different world. There's pedicures. There's people that take very good care of their skin. They have good hygiene routines. I'm glad for that. But in this day and age, people's feet were dirty. They were calloused. They were hardened. They were kind of disgusting. And what he says here is, how beautiful are the feet that preach the good news of the gospel. And so when you go, you're walking. Walking, going takes action, moving somewhere. As you go and you live into your purpose, here's what I want you to understand. In the body of Christ, we look like all of these shoes. We all have different functions, different roles. We do different things. We're good at different things. We're all needed. And the problem comes in is if all you've got are a bunch of running shoes, how are you going to stand firm when you need to bear a heavy load? If all you've got is your dress shoes, what happens when something lands on your toe? If you're going on an eight-mile hike through a muddy terrain, you better have some waterproof shoes. 
So we have to go on mission together. We have to go on mission together. Mark 6 through 7 through 13 says this. And he called the 12 and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He charged them not to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and to put on two tunics. And he said to them, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if you leave any, if any place, you will not receive you and they will not listen to you. When you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent and they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. We are not called to do this alone. Jesus sent them out two by two in pairs to go to proclaim the gospel. It takes all of us. There's reasons it takes all of us. It takes all of us for manpower. There is too much work to be done for only a handful of people to do it. There, is, there are too many empty seats in this sanctuary for only a handful of people to go and try to make disciples, to tell people about what's going on. There are too many lost people in the world for only a few people to be proclaiming the gospel. It takes all of us for the manpower part of it. It takes all of us for support. It's not going to be easy. There's going to be, Jesus said to them, if anyone, any place won't receive you, shake off your feet. There's going to be times where people reject you. There's going to be times where people don't like what you're saying. But when we come alongside each other, there's support for the work. And it takes all of us because of our callings and giftings. Just like I was saying before, if, if all we had was a bunch of running shoes, we've got, we got a problem. There's not stability. There's not these other things. If all we had is a bunch of work boots, we're not able to go the distance we might need to go and to go and to do these other things. It takes all people within the body of Christ playing their role and doing their part. So we must all obey the call to go make disciples, to live into our individual purposes and make disciples as we do them and go and do it together and when we do, we're able to saturate the world with the gospel of Christ for the glory of God. And so here's where I want you to see it all come together. The cycle of a disciple. The cycle of a disciple. You should know God. This is salvation, entering into relationship with him, where you can know your purpose and know one another, know the church. And then you grow in your faith, where you grow in what you know about God and, and know what you're supposed to do. You look more like him. You grow in your ability to live into your purpose, and you grow in that community of the church. And then you realize that you're called to go make disciples, so you go live into your purpose. You proclaim the gospel. You go on mission together, so that people will know God, and they can know their purpose and know the church, and they can grow in their faith, grow in their ability, grow in the community, and they can too go make disciples so that until Jesus comes back, we are constantly going and making disciples who know God, grow in their faith, that also go make disciples. And we think about the dandelion. Because it grows and it turns into that little puff ball that all the kids like to blow and scatter everywhere. And what happens a few weeks later? you got a lot more dandelions in your yard, and you don't know how to get rid of them. Christians ought to be as stubborn in the side of the world as a dandelion. And for a long time, they were in, in, in the early church, up until about 300 years after the resurrection, it was illegal to be a Christian. But despite that, the gospel spread. Why? 
because people knew God, they grew in their faith, and they took seriously their call to go make disciples, despite what it cost them. And today, it costs us very little. And we have to take seriously this call to go make disciples. And so today, I want to ask you and challenge you, where are you in this cycle? Do you know God this morning? Do you have a relationship with him? I'm not saying do you know about him? Do you know some Bible stories? You've been to church sometimes in your life. Your mom, your your grandma, your dad, your grandpa is a Christian. Do you have a relationship this morning with Jesus Christ? Do you understand that you have sin in your life that separates you from God? Do you believe that Jesus Christ died for that sin and was raised again? Have you confessed him as your Lord and your Savior? That is what it means to know God, to have a relationship with him. If you know him, if you, if you make that profession, and also have you followed an obedience of baptism, that's the next step of obedience in that, how, are you growing in your faith? Is there evidence that that thing that has started, that seed that was planted, that, that you proclaim to have a relationship, has it, has it grown? Is there evidence to you and to others that you've grown in your faith? Are you engaged in going and making disciples? Are you playing your part in proclaiming the gospel and leading others to follow him more faithfully? Where are you in this cycle? And when you identify that, what is God calling you to do next? What is the next step of obedience that God would have for you? So today my challenge to you, as Becky comes and we have this time of invitation, my invitation, my challenge to you is to move in response to God. to to respond to whatever he's convicting you to do to be more faithful in making disciples, leading people to know. Whether you need to take a step and say, I want to know God. Can you help me to know God? If you would turn to the person beside you and ask them that. If you want to come down front and talk to me about that. Do you need to grow in your faith? Do you need to go and make disciples? Where are you at and what is God calling you to do? I want to challenge you to move. Pray where you're at. Come pray with me. Come pray at the altar. Pray with the person beside you. Whatever it is, don't let what God is calling you to do be something you forget. Because you can, you can have the nicest pair of shoes, but you don't put them on. You can, you can know what you're supposed to do, but you don't do it. That's a problem. God calls us to obedience. What is he calling you to do this morning? Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you for this day you've given this day that we can come together and we can just look at what it means to follow you, look at what it means to, to do and to be as a church, that if as a church we will seek to know you, to be people who know you, have a relationship with you, to grow in our faith and to go make disciples, that you do the work. God, I pray that you would convict us in our lives how we can be more faithful to you, that there would be nothing that would hold us back from taking the step of obedience of whatever it might be in our life that we would follow you so that we can be engaged in the work you are engaged in, that we can be a part of the ministry of reconciliation, leading people to know you, grow in faith, and then be a part of that same ministry in making disciples. God, I pray that you'd be with us, that we would be a church that makes disciples. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We hope this sermon has been a blessing to you today. If you have any questions about what you've heard, we would love to hear from you through our church Facebook page, email, or by calling the church office.